Apollo program was designed to get two Americans to the lunar surface and back again to Earth safely. The enormity of this event is something that only history will be able to judge. Apollo 11 has very simply been given the mission of carrying men to the moon, landing them there, and bringing them safely back. It never gets old for me to watch those. Good morning. It's great to have you here today at Crosstown. Hey, I got a couple things that are going on. This coming Friday, we're having our movie night. It's A Bug's Life, and we're going to have a really great environment. We actually have grass that we're going to lay out for kids to lay on. So, I mean, you know, during the wintertime, we actually blow snow in here. We're actually going to have grass for your kids to be able to relax and watch the movie together. We've got a little bouncy castle for the little, you know, the kids that just can't get that shake out of them, and they just got to keep on moving a little bit. I know what that's all about. We're going to have the jumpy castle. We're going to have Kona ice, snow cones. Even for if you're in the junior high age, we are going to have the, I think it's called a, is it called Splatoon? Splatoon? Splatoon, um, the switch. We're going to have the whole switch system hooked up. It's funny, looking at everybody over the 60s, looking at me, it's like, what, what's wrong with this guy? What's, what's happening to him? So we'll have that going on. That happens this Friday at 6.30, and then this coming Sunday is our man challenge. That's where we make nerds out of every guy that's here. We invite you to come a little early, 15 minutes early, and be a part of our fishing challenge, our golf challenge, our uh, Nerf gun challenge. There are prizes involved with it. You'll walk out of here. You're, you'll be like three feet taller with your, your awards and your championship. So we invite you to be a part of that this coming Saturday. So, it, I mean, this coming Sunday. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. So we have been looking at the Apollo 11 mission. And... As I've told you, I was a 10-year-old boy, and I found this picture this week. I was a 10-year-old boy when all this was going down. This photo was actually taken just three months before the actual landing on the moon. Um, I'm a little bit more interested in it than my brother is at this particular moment. But, I mean, Apollo 11 was what Americans were about for, uh, for this moment, getting to the moon and having this experience. But it wasn't until later on that I started to learn what it took to actually bring this incredible feat about, about. And we've been using the Apollo 11 mission because it was inconceivable. Up until this point, most of us thought the moon was made out of cheese, and we weren't exactly sure what it was all about. But this actually began to change how we viewed our own existence as well as things outside of us. We exerted an uprising of technology and uh, national unity to bring about this event. And we saw that in the resurrection of Christ from the dead, that he did not rise just to rise his own body from the dead, but rather to show that each and every one of us, as a result of the investment of God in us through the death of his son, can have an uprising to take us beyond the borders of what we normally can accomplish with our life. It's absolutely exciting about what God can do in us. 
He actually told us in Luke 17 that the kingdom of God is within us and in our hearts and among us and surrounding us. And that when we become a part of that kingdom, we can see the, the borders of our limitations begin to drop. The, the dysfunctions of our lives be transformed and to be healed. You know, I knew when we got into this Apollo 11 thing, you know, we were going to, be, we were going to get ahead of the curve as a nation because I knew everybody else was going to start going into it. There will probably be churches across America that will go into Apollo 11, and I just wanted to land on that moon first. But the interesting thing is that the, the people who have been watching our website and copying us is Apple. And I'm only joking. They probably don't even know we exist. But Apple is launching its TV service, and the first thing that's out the gate is their own production of an Apollo 11 mission. So it is really cool that they're jumping on it as well. So I, I want to show you the, the trailer for that because uh, Apple has done something with this story that's a little bit of a twist that really plays into what we're going to talk about today. Let's watch. I believe that this nation should commit itself to landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. After thousands of years gazing up in the heavens and dreaming of this day, a man is about to set foot on the moon. Across the world, people wait with bated breath. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a live signal. There he is. The shock across the nation at this event is just indescribable. The Soviet cosmonaut has become the first to set foot on the moon. I thought it was about being first. Turns out the stakes are much bigger than that. Get back to work. We're still in this thing. Change your plans, gentlemen. There is water on the moon. And this race will be ours to fight for and to win. Then we are not stopping there. Moon lab. We need to accelerate the base. You're going to be an astronaut candidate. No, I'm going to be an astronaut. We'll go to Mars, Saturn, the stars, the galaxy. Drifting away. Watch it. Eagle, this is Houston. Do you copy? This is not the end of the race. We must keep our eyes to the future. Three, two. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that just amazing? And if you're my age, I mean, just watching that when they showed the Soviet flag on the on the moon before us, I mean, it, it just took my breath away. It's like I cannot conceive of a, re a reality where America is not leading in things like this. But it wasn't always that way. We know that a large motivation of the Apollo program was to outrace the technological development of the USSR, what we call Russia today. But it wasn't just who's going to be better. It wasn't a fighting of ethnicity, but rather it was a race of worldviews. And at that time in the world, the world was watching to see if capitalistic democracy 
or communistic totalitarianism was capable of leading the world. There were these two worldviews that were competing to take the world into the next decade, into the next century. And we were competing to show whose worldview could actually produce it. So whether it was by having hands on the project as working for NASA or Lockheed or being an astro in the astronaut program or supporting it from afar, Americans invested in the race to the moon. People got involved in it. And there was a lot of benefits that came back to us as a result of this race to the moon. Let me read to you some of the trickle-back effects that occurred from us making this investment in the 60s and in the 70s. Health and medicine, transportation, public safety, consumer goods, environmental and agricultural resources were developed, computer technology, industrial productivity, physical science, our knowledge of geology, aircraft cabin pressure technology, propulsion systems, new weapon systems, firefighting apparatus that we use today was developed a part of the Apollo program. Treatment systems for multiple sclerosis and spinal injuries developed during the Apollo mission. Assisted breathing devices, school buses being redesigned to handle impacts, a result of the Apollo mission program. Um, robotic technologies for surgeries. The development of the artificial heart pump came out of the Apollo mission program. GPS software that you and I enjoy all the time to see if our loved ones are at Starbucks picking up a latte without calling us. That technology came to us from the Apollo mission program. That goes on and on. E emergency parachute systems for small planes. Normally you get up in a Cessna 150, 175 and your engine cuts out. I mean it was pretty much a glide to death. Now over 200 lives have been saved in the United States alone with the deployment of parachute systems that were developed for the Apollo space capsule as it returned back into the Earth's atmosphere. Um, here's some other ones. Eye catar cataract detection technology, photography, Teflon-coated roofing systems that we have. The at atomic oxygen facility was used, which was, was part of the... Uh, the Apollo mission, but listen to how it's been used. To restore the paintings uh, that have been destroyed in fires. For instance, Andy Warhol's works were damaged in a fire and they were restored as a result of the technology that we developed with the Apollo mission program. Food safety, anti-poisoning and salmonella reduction and detection came out of the Apollo program. The restoration of protective materials used on the Statue of Liberty and the Golden Gate Bridge came from Apollo. Here's another one. This is just beautiful. Multispectral imaging used to read Roman manuscripts that were buried during the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD were used to read those documents. They were developed during Apollo. The card swipe technology for ATMs developed during Apollo. Velcro, we gotta, gotta give a shout out for Velcro. It's holding you know, most of us together today. Freeze-dried food technologies and even major improvements in skincare systems came from Apollo. But add to that 
that in that moment, there was a unification around the world that even though we were in the middle of scandal and the Vietnam War and all the different other things that were taking place, the, the Cold War that was taking place, for a moment during the Apollo 11 mission, the whole world stopped and unified as the definitions of what humans can accomplish totally changed. It created corporate collaboration that has not been seen since the Apollo mission program. And then add to that the national pride. If you ever saw those ticker tape parades down the, the, the Broadway on, on New York and Times Square, and I mean, we don't even celebrate like that about anything like we celebrated as a country and the pride that we had uh, defeating and beating the Soviets to the, to the moon. And all of this came out of the investment of Americans. Some of us hands-on, most of us from afar, but we were making the investment to see it happen without even flying a ship personally. See, one of the best ways to attack a competing worldview is through the power of investment. We all can hold different ideas here about what we think is right and true. It's not the trueness of the worldview that will come out on top. I wish it was, but rather, it is the investment in that worldview that will bring that worldview to the top. And as Christi Christians, we believe we hold the worldview that is truest for the world. And one of the ways that we see that occur is by investing in it. See, I loved in that Apple version of it is we're standing in a time, and a lot of us as Americans, a lot of us even more so as Christians, are watching the world and watching the direction it's going, and, and some of us are a little concerned about where it's heading. God has already made his investment. In the precious blood of his son Jesus and the resurrection from the dead, God has already determined what he's invested in. But now it's time for us to get back to work. It's time for us to get back into the race. It's time for us to begin the power of seeing the worldview of Christ's kingdom become a reality in our lives and in the world around us. But it's going to take our investment. It's going to take our generosity. It's going to take us getting behind what we believe is true. We need to see that generosity empowers a worldview. One of the things I was reading about was that, did you know that Christians in America today and just in America, are the wealthiest Christians ever to set foot on the earth. Forget the moon. That the wealthiest Christians ever to be alive are in this auditorium right now. You may not think you're wealthy, but let me just show you some, some statistics. And I, I, this kind of blew me away. Um, if you make $30,000 a year, in the United States, this is where you rank in the world of wealth. This is based upon income. You're in the top 1.23%. If you are making $30,000 a year right now, you are the 73rd millionth richest person in the world. So let me just tell you that all of us maybe here that have a political view that we need to make the 1% pay more, well, just be careful you, who, how you define what your 1% is, okay? Because right now, we're all sitting in the 1% if we make 30000 So, you know, just, just be careful about that. If you make $30,000 a year, 
It takes you two minutes and 18 seconds to afford a Coca-Cola. If you are a laborer in Indonesia, it takes you about almost two hours to, to buy a Coke. So let's just jump up a little bit. Let's say you make $75,000 a year. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, uh, you are in the 0.11% category. Uh, you're in the top one, uh, the top, not one, but 0.11% in the world. If you are making 75000 right now, you are the, you're, you're number 6,645,000 richest uh, income maker in the world. It's like, that's shocking to me. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that, that all of us were kind of like ranked here. Um, so let's just throw it up if you're, uh, you're really getting, getting with it. Let's say you make over 100 k a year. You are in the top 0.08% of wealth makers in the world. That's incredible. Now, I, I, I actually, if you make 200000 here, um, you earn a Coca-Cola in two seconds. You earn a Coca-Cola in two seconds. Ready? Boom. Wait a minute. You just got a six-pack. There you go. You just, you just got a six-pack right there. I mean, that's, that's absolutely incredible. Um, and I want to thank Seed Money Ministries for all these statistics. These statistics, though, are not to make us feel bad about our wealth um, or about drinking Coke. Not at all. That's not what this is about. I mean, this is kind of like maybe to shake us a little bit, that our competition with each other is maybe the world, wrong worldview. Is that it's like, a, wait a minute, I really do have resources. I really do have uh, stuff to enjoy. Uh, we've been given a blessing, and we need to see what we've been given. We need, to, we need to look and see around, but we also need to see the, the potential of empowerment. I mean, we have the ability, the resources, to invest in a worldview that if we believe to be the truest, should rise to the top as a result of investment. So the Apostle Paul talks to us about about what do we do with this stuff? What do we do with our money? What do we do with our empowerment and our resources? And he, he does a really great job. Let me read to you out of 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, and, and it doesn't say you're bad people or you should be carrying the rest of us. He says, let's, let's talk to people who have wealth. And I'm going to say that's everybody in the room. Do you know that if you are, and I'm not making light of it, if, but if you make, 12,000 or less, and we're at the poverty level, but at 12,000 a year, you are still in top 14% of wealth makers in the world. I mean, so, so I think this is a conversation for all of us. I think it's something that we all can have a conversation about. So as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of what? Of that which is truly life. Paul talks about what we should do with our wealth and how we should handle our wealth. He says, don't be haughty. That's the first thing he points out. It's like, hey, and, and haughty is, you remember when you were a kid, maybe you had a sibling in the family, and you, you kind of backed up to each other, and you did that whole height thing where you're kind of like, I'm taller than you are, and you made a mark on the door, whatever it is. And, 
And the Apostle Paul says, listen, you need to stop using this as a measure of whether or not you're successful or whether or not you're better than other people. You need to stop using this as a form of separation from, from those who are around you in life. This is not how you determine the value of an individual. Haughtiness is to use a worldview system that says, no, more is better. The more I have, the more successful I am, and therefore there are other people that are less than us. He goes on to say, do not put your hope in money. And that's part of this other worldview. This idea of false security, that the more that I have, the more I am secure in my life. He says, put your trust in God. Constantly telling us as people with wealth, people with resources, constantly divert your heart back to trusting in God. Don't fall for the false worldview that wants to land on, on the, the surface of your heart and to tell you that you need to be anxious about all the stuff that you don't have. You need to be anxious about the future. You need to be anxious about how much money you've got in the bank. And, and you need to allow that to drive you. And, and Paul says, no. He says, put your trust in God. I love what he also says. This, is, this might be the most enlightening part to you. He says, enjoy your money. He says, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You don't really hear that a lot, do you, from, from churches? You know, it's like, man, he's like, it's cool. You know, it's, it's, it's great to have money. God has richly blessed us so that we can enjoy our stuff. He said, that's not a competing worldview. We're not supposed to be miserable about the fact that we have something nice. I know some of you are always scratching your head that I'm talking about my Subaru Outback <laughs> and, and the modifications I make to it. You know, you're like, well, no, you have, the, you have uh, you're a false idol in your life, Pastor Paul, because you really like your car a lot. It's like, no, I don't, any, I don't own anything I don't like, okay? I enjoy my money. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, I've blessed you, enjoy it. But, but let's not change our worldview just because we're enjoying stuff. Let's make sure the enjoying of stuff isn't our worldview, but rather that, that we, we keep this thing going directed in the right way so that we can all land on the moon and then have the trickle-back effect of experiencing the blessings of the kingdom of God in our lives. He says, um, do good with your money. Take a look at what you do with your money. Is, is anybody improved by it? Is it is, is, are good things being accomplished with your money? That's, that's what you, we want to talk about as you invest in it. One of the things that we're working on, we're going to be making on the back wall there, we're going, to, we're going to make all the missions that this church supports and all the things that we're involved in so that you can see them because your money, as you've been a part of this church, has been going out helping orphanages, helping people who come by that, that need help in their lives. You've, just recently, there was a family in, in Houston that you, may, you weren't aware of it, but we contribute to help restore that family and help them get back into their house. And we're going to make that so that you can see that that's what the mission of the church is. But think about what you're doing with your money and the good that you're doing with it. He goes on to say, be wealthy in good works. If you want to focus on wealth, the right worldview is to what are you accomplishing with your life? That's the real that's the 1% you really want to be in. I mean, that's, that's the group you want to be a part of 
that your life is rich with good works. Be generous. Be ready to share. Because you know what? You get that white knuckle thing on our money, and I, I do it too. It's, it's, really, it's really hard. I mean, I'll fight you for the last shrimp on a plate. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll like get anxious. I did it just the other day at Kat's birthday. You know, I was like serving out all the food, and, and I give everybody this warning. Now, if you're not going to eat that shrimp, don't, don't you waste it, okay? Don't you waste it. You know, I'll eat it when it's over with. And it's like, dude, loosen up a little bit, you know? And, and the Apostle Paul says, be ready to share. That, so that, that means your hand's not like this with your, with your stuff. It means that's a, that's a ready hand to share. And he says, make your heart like that, that it's, it's not clinched because of anxiety or any, whatever else that could be influencing your life, but rather it's already open-handed. And he says, store up your treasure in heaven. It's like, think about life beyond the atmosphere of earth. That's how the Apollo mission program happened. I mean, if we just thought about the earth, that would have been cool, but we decided that that mankind wanted to establish itself beyond the borders of the earth and enter into our solar system, into the galaxy in a brand new way. We need to live that part of us is here, but also part of us is investing in something that is beyond the atmosphere of our 75, 80 years on this planet that's actually part of the kingdom of heaven in, um, in heaven. And then he says, hold firm to a true life. Because that's what money does to us sometimes, is that we get off the true life. And, and I can't, and me going towards Father's Day, but I, I cannot stress to you guys enough, uh, your dads that are here, that we want to provide our kids the best, right? There's no verse in the Bible that says that your kids have to have the best. Your time with your kids is your best, now, it's all crazy because we're set up in a system where you're, you're, you're kind of having kids at about, you know, 24 years of age, but you're also trying to establish your career at about 24, 30 years of age. So you find yourself running in all these different directions, and the apostle's saying, listen, dads, moms, you know, in this critical time, take hold of true life. Yeah, I know you want to move into that subdivision from this subdivision. Yeah, I know they just released a new version, version of that, uh, that Lexus SUV and, and all the other uh, uh, soccer parents are driving those too. And, and you want to have this like, wait a minute, don't, don't fall for that. Maybe they can afford that. But you take a hold of true life and make sure you, you hold on to what it really is about. See, an uprising of generosity is a direct investment in a worldview. And it's against another worldview, but it's not the Soviets. It's, I think it's the worldview of fear, and I think it's the worldview of self, selfishness or selfism. You know, that's the competing worldview. I don't think a lot of us are like this with our money because we're just heartless, cruel, cold-hearted people. I think a lot of us are scared. We're anxious about what's going to happen in our, in our future. Or maybe we have just been trained. It's about, you know, establishing a retirement program. I can't tell you how many people I know that have established a great retirement program, and now their kids can't stand them, and it's, there's nobody to, to enjoy it with. 
Because we just set our hopes on, it's all about saving up for the future, saving up for the future, the golden years. I remember when my pop was, uh, he was like 75, and, and, and this may sound a little, a little crass, but I, I find as I'm getting older, I tend to say more things like this. But he, um, he said, you know, I was telling him I didn't have a retirement program, and he said, Paul, relax. You're investing in your kids. You're doing a great job. Um, he said, uh, the golden years is a myth. He said, it's, it's about your family, it's about your kids when they're there, because when they're, after 18, talking them back for the summer is really hard to do. He says, invest while you got your kids. And he said, you know what my golden years are? Is uh, praying to keep my prostate healthy. He said, that's where all my money's going, is to keep my, is, you know, and I know that sounds really cold and crass, and he's like, no, it's like, he was really shocked that all this wealth acquisition and, and all this planning, it was like, you know, all of a sudden this starts going and this starts going and this starts going and this deductible and all that. He's like, man, you know, just hold on to true life and invest in that. So the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 10, he talks about this competing worldview. And it's more dangerous than the Soviets have ever been. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, some of us, eager for money, have wandered from the faith, from the worldview of what we believe in, and have pierced themselves with many griefs. He says the love of money, that's the definition of a worldview. Money is not the root of all evil. Being rich is not the root of all evil. It's the worldview of the love of money. And you can have money, and you can have no money, but still, you can have the love of money in your life. The love of money is totally independent about how much wealth that you have. You, because, you know, if you have the love of money, you can, be, you can be poor and love what you don't have. Words like jealousy... Envy, greed, stealing, embitterness, hoarding, vandalism. See, vandalism is an interesting thing. It's a little different than stealing, isn't it? Stealing is, I want what you got. Vandalism takes it up the next level. I can't have what you got, so I'm going to make sure you can't have what you got. And what's that all out of? It's like, well, those are wicked people. No, that's the love of money. That's no, that's no different than hoarding. It's this idea that having is what it's all about, whether I have or I don't have. So if you're sitting here today and you're like, well, okay, he's the love of money, he's talking to those one percenters in America. I'm like, no, I'm talking to every person that when money becomes the focus of our lives and it becomes the worldview of our lives. And the love of money is, is self-destructive, and it's a value system that keeps us from from going beyond the atmosphere of the planet, of our lives. In contrast, God gave us some things that we do to, to invest in this worldview. One of them was is that the God-honoring practice of tithing. Let me read this verse to you. Before you kind of reject this out of hand, let me just read this verse to you. Proverbs 3.9. And I want you to hear it in all of its grace, in all of its invitation to experience the kingdom of God. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of, of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. 
Now, you can argue with me about whether or not tithing is for today or not, and we could argue whether that's a New Testament principle or not, but let's just get past the triviality. The, the important thing is, is, are you going to invest in a worldview that honors God? It's really just, it's all the only question you got. I don't have to whip out some, some Old Testament verse out of Malachi to try to scare you with some curse that your refrigerator is going to break if you don't honor the Lord with your money. The, the, really, let's just step back. Do you believe in a worldview where God is honored? Well, then God honoring finances should be a part of your life. Now, if we, wanna, we could argue over the ones and the zeros and the decimal points, but let's not even have that conversation today. Let's just talk about our worldview you know, when you look around into the world and you see it not turning out, the, these kids today, they're not like we were when we were younger. Well, you know why these kids, if, if they are really bad, and I don't think they really are, but if they, they really are bad, is because some generation didn't invest in them. The only reason why they didn't land on the moon is because people didn't invest in them landing on the moon. It's, it, you know, if you believe in a worldview that, that raises children that know God, well, then we need to invest in a worldview that, that b- believes in that as well. And it's not that I tithe because I have to, but it's like I get to. And, and not only that, I remember the second half of this verse. I'm going to get Velcro. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to get new technologies. I'm going to get really cool things that are going to trickle back to me as a result of my investment with God, that God's going to turn around and bring me the benefits of that. Why wouldn't I invest in something like that? Our giving changes the world. In Acts 20, 35... It says, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I normally looked at this verse and saw it as, it is more blessed to give, meaning it's more blessed for me to give uh, than to receive. But I think it's bigger than that. He says, I think he's saying that a world where giving is the worldview, the world becomes more blessed. Meaning that that worldview of Christ begins to expand into the world. This is not just to be apprehended for the personal practice of me giving and and it's better to give than to receive. But he's saying, listen, blessing happens not only in your life, but in our worldview. In the world around us, there's a blessing of God that occurs when we get involved in the generosity of the kingdom. And here's how it works. Generosity provides for kingdom growth. In Philippians, Paul said, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day unto this moment. Confident of this very thing that, that, that God's going to complete this work. We're going to land on the moon. Something's good going to happen to people's lives. And he says, why? Well, one of the things, not, because, not only because God's at work, is because of your partnership in their work. And as you partner with Crosstown and other churches around the world, you're, you may not be flying the capsule today. Maybe today I'm up here and maybe we got a, a youth team that will actually be you know, landing that lunar module on a 17-year-old's life. But maybe from afar, like an, like the, an American in the 1960s and 70s, your investment, you're investing in that process. So one of the ways that it takes place is your generosity makes the kingdom of God happen and its resources be available. Also, we bring light and joy to the world through our generosity. 
I don't know. I, maybe I'm just a little different. But you can come up to me and say, hey, Paul, you know, you're really good. You're really good at uh, whatever it is you do. And you do it good. And I'll be like, oh, that's great. And, you know, and that's kind of like a popsicle that will melt in about, you know, what, a minute or so. And, but have you ever had somebody give you something? I mean, have you ever had somebody walk up to you or somebody leave for you um, something very generous? I mean, I, it, it kind of blows you away a, a little bit, you know? It, it's, it's one thing to say, oh, God bless you, uh, be healed, have a great day, you know? It's like, but then there's another thing when somebody decides to break the atmosphere and to begin to plant on the advancement of your life through generosity. Our giving helps us fulfill the the greatest two commandments we were ever told about. Luke 10 says, love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, wow. That's our world vision right there. If you don't know what the Christian worldview is, that's it. Honor God and be generous to others. And if we're losing in America, it's not because the gospel isn't true. It's not because God hasn't revealed what his will is. It's not because God didn't do his part. If we're losing the Christian worldview, it's because we're not investing in the Christian worldview. Remember this. When you face this subject, the idea of investing in the kingdom or generosity or tithing, remember... uh, I know fear pops up. We really can't afford this. We can't really, you know, make this happen. But remember what Paul says in Philippians 4.19. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. See, if we believe that worldview, then generosity begins, you know, our, our hands begin to open up. And we begin to be able to be generous and assert the worldview of generosity to the world around us. And remember this, and this is a promise. I'm not being hokey. I'm not being some mega church guy that has three airplanes and drives a Bentley or anything like that. And, and I'm, you know, uh, I probably shouldn't have said that. I'm not saying they're evil, but I just, I'm not, I'm not buying it. But let me just say that. But there is some biblical principles that kind of coerce you into the arena. Listen, Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will pour into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now for some of us, that should be like, wait a minute, the measure that it was used, that I'd use can be used for some of us. That should be like, ha ha, I'm set, baby. It's gonna be good because I have a good measure this way. I'm expecting something good coming this way. But for some of us, maybe that measure out is not going. That that being involved in the worldview of Christ is really not happening, and we're wondering, hey, I I can't afford to give. And it's because the outflow has not begun to happen in our lives. We're not going to take a special offering today. This is not about any of that that you've been trained to expect. 
But parents, this is the time to change the future of your children by showing them the delight of generosity and empowering a worldview. Your kids need to be a part of your giving experience. They need to see that you do that. If you're a single person here today, this is the time when you get a hold of it. You don't want to date people who are stingy, that don't have your worldview. This is a time where you establish, and, and a lot of times when I'm talking to couples my age, they say, I can't afford to give. But when you're single, that's when you decide, I, from this day forward, will build my financial vision with the kingdom of God in mind. You're in a very powerful place as a single person. Remember, we're no longer involved in the race for space. But this is now a race for what fills your heart. Father, we thank you for your love. And we thank you that you have made the down payment, the greatest of all investments through your son, Jesus Christ. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, today you are talking to each and every one of us about investing in your kingdom. Not only investing in your kingdom, but seeing that kingdom become a reality invested into our lives. Father, we open ourselves to you today. We ask through the power of your spirit that that grip that we have, that fear, that meism, whatever it is, that God, that you would begin to melt it, that we could open our hands and hearts so that we could go beyond the atmosphere of surviving, and that we can go into a new frontier of seeing your kingdom come in our lives. Let me invite you to come to receive communion, remembering that it is God's investment. Let me invite you to stay in a moment of worship. If you need prayer, to move to one of our prayer partners in the back. Or maybe this will be a time when you talk to God and just write a note and pin it to the cross. Let me invite you also to be a part of a moment of generosity through giving. Let this be a moment when you invest in the kingdom of God.